0: You're listening to The Lively Show, episode 190. Welcome to The Lively Show. I'm your host, Jess Lively, and this blogcast is designed to uplift, inspire, and add a little extra intention to your everyday. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you so much, as always, for listening. Today's episode is brought to you by Aptive. Aptive is an app you can get on your phone right now by just going and searching for it. And once you've downloaded it, if you want to use it to create wonderful workouts, this is what I would recommend going for. It is my favorite workout app. It is so well done. Once you log in, you're gonna see all these different types of workouts. So if you're going to do an elliptical workout, a outdoor running workout, a treadmill workout, strength training, you name it, Once you've decided which type of workout you want to do, then you pick the type of workout within that category that sounds appealing to you. Lately, I've been doing the sprints and interval workouts that are in the running app, and I'm finding them so fun. I love the coaches as they're giving me direction on my stride and how to run better and with better form, and also I love their playlists. If you want to give this a shot yourself, you can do so for 30 full days using the code THELIVELYSHOW. So what you'll do to get that 30-day free trial is go over to Active.com. That's aapti com. When you click the sign up button, they're going to ask you for a code, write the lively show, all one word, all caps in that section. So you get a full month of this app for free to give it a try yourself. Like I said, I love it. It's a great way to work out, especially for me as I'm traveling. You can do it anywhere you have your phone with you. Now let's move on. Today, I'm speaking to you from Sydney, Australia. This is a very exciting week because we're going to be doing two free online workshops for the upcoming launches of Life With Intention Online and Flow With Intention Online. As you guys know, I've done Life with Intention online for several years now, and now we have Flow with Intention online coming out as well. And to kick them off, we are doing two free workshops. The first one for Life with Intention is all about how to set your values-based intentions. If you want to learn how to do that, you can go over to JessLively.com slash intention workshop. Sign up there. I'll be doing a free workshop live online at 8 p.m. Eastern Central this week. You can get the details by going over there. In addition to sign up for the flow with intention training, which is all about how to find your alignment and increase your emotional frequency. Head over to just lively.com slash alignment workshop. No joke. This episode is the Q and a episode and there were 93 questions asked. Of course I can't answer all 93 or 92 questions in one go. I think I would be here all day if I did. However, the number one question that I was asked was, how do you find alignment and how do you change your emotional frequency based off of the two most recent episodes about the law of attraction and quantum living and frequencies? You guys are really curious on that, and that's exactly what I'm going to address in this upcoming Flow with Intention workshop. So again, if you wanna join that Flow with Intention, How to Find Alignment Workshop, head over to jesslively.com slash alignmentworkshop. It's totally free, and we'll help you with that answer right there. Now let's move on. We've got the questions. So let's get started. There are many of them. And as I said, there were so many this time that there's no way I can address them all. So I'm trying to hit a smattering of them that were asked that are on a wide range of different questions. Let's get started. Monica A. Summers asks, we love you. When's your next course? So this actually is kind of right up to what I was just talking about, the question about when the next course is. The courses will be launching simultaneously in February. So I think it's technically January 29th, so right at the end of January, until February 24th. So those are the weeks that the classes will be running. I'll be doing both of them simultaneously. Yes, you can join one or you can join both if you're interested. There'll be more details about that coming up. So if you're interested, registration begins next Monday through Friday, and then class will start, like I said, January, 29th. Now we have JMR224 who said, hi Jess, thank you for sharing your light with us all. How do you find flow with certain goals that may have deadlines or only possible in certain life situations? So how do you find flow when there's deadlines or goals and only possible in certain life situations? Okay. Well, all of this is about finding flow in the present moment. So you're kind of zooming out and saying, you know, but it has to get done in this amount of time. I want you to drill down to this specific moment. What is flowing for you in this? If it's a goal, a goal is an arbitrary thing that you've set up. So first of all, goals are totally arbitrary. If your intuition is not leading you towards that goal and your ego made it up, first of all, I'd say that will be a huge indicator that the flow may not actually go in the direction of the goal, or you may have a ton of resistance around it because again, it's created by the ego thinking that frequency, emotional frequency will come from the accumulation, the attainment of the goal rather than before the goal itself. So if you want to listen to the Law of Attraction episode to understand what that means a little bit more, go ahead. But I'll just say that the goals thing, I would say, don't think about them that much. I don't even think that goals are that honestly worth it. When you learn how to use your emotional frequency, things unfold in much better and fluid ways without you having to have the goals. I know this is totally different than how so many people you listen to podcasts talk about say, but I can tell you from my own experience that in the past when I had goals, I would strive so hard to get there and I would either barely get to them or just kinda hit a little bit short of them. Whereas when I have learned how to focus on my energy, consciousness, and frequency, I have doubled my business without even trying. It is literally, like I say all the time, quantum living versus classical physics. It is totally a different perspective, consciousness, and energy. And I think the results are disproportionately in our favor. At least I'm seeing that in my own life. That's all I can say. In terms of deadlines for other people, obviously, you're going to have to find the flow within the deadline. And of course, in the certain life season, find the flow within that season instead of assuming that the outcome is this disparate point, find the flow within that moment and see where it takes you next. Instead of thinking that it has to take you to some arbitrary point, just focus on the flow that you're finding in that moment or season or deadline. Next up, we have shutters527 who said, what's your favorite thing in Australia so far? Well, my favorite thing in Australia so far has been the summer weather in winter months. I say winter months because I'm used to the Northern Hemisphere and January, February, March being very cold seasons. Here it is just their summer season. So I do definitely love that. I love all of the sunshine here in Sydney. The people are wonderful and nice. The accent's pretty fun too. The thing I don't love about Australia are the spiders. Oh my gosh. If you guys have probably heard that in New Zealand, there's nothing venomous or deadly, but in Australia, there's a ton of things that can... (laughs) really do some damage. And I had a huntsman spider in my flat the other night. And I mean, this thing was like the size of a tarantula. It was four to five inches. I mean, it's literally the size of my palm or bigger sitting on my wall, just huge, furry, the whole thing. It didn't look exactly like a tarantula. Huntsman's not exactly the same, but if you're talking to an American who's freaked out at 1 a.m. as she's about to pull her blinds down and all of a sudden sees this giant thing sitting up in the corner, it was terrifying. Apparently, for those who are wondering, huntsman spiders are totally harmless. However, that freaked the crap out of me. So that is my least favorite thing about Australia so far is the giant spiders. I also went on a hike up near Manly and North Head, I think it's called. And there was this park and there was tons and tons of spider webs with spiders that were as big as the Huntsman, but different types. And I was just like, this is freakier than Halloween. They're just everywhere. And they are so big. Now let's move on. So now we have Art Manville Dairy said, love, love, love this. How do you raise your vibrations? What are your techniques? Do you meditate? Do you journal? How do you decide your emotional state? In one of the episodes, you mentioned that you spent a lot of time trying to get into alignment. What does that look like for you? Thank you. As I mentioned earlier, this is one of many questions that ask this. I will be answering that in the alignment workshop. So if you wanna find out more, you can go to justlively.com slash alignment workshop. Now we have I'm Sarah O'Leary who said, I'm sure you're going to do this, but I'm excited to learn about your new class, Flow with Intention. I'm interested in taking one of your classes this year and would like to know more about how I should choose one or the other. This is a very good question and I'm sure many people are going to wonder if they want to join one of the classes. Which one to join, Life with Intention or Flow with Intention? So here's the answer to that in a really short format. I like to say that both of them Take you down the mountain. So, first of all, the problem with a lot of stuff that you learn is that the concept of climbing a mountain is taught. So, you kind of think that you have to start at the bottom and work your way to the top. The truth is, the reality is that you start at the top and you work your way down. With life with intention, you focus on hiking your way down the mountain. You focus on taking physical action and planning and values to get yourself from the top of the mountain down to where you want to be at the bottom. So that's the approach. It's a more logical approach. It's more classical physics approach. It's more for people that are especially very analytical. STs and the Myers-Briggs, for example, will definitely resonate a lot and be very comfortable with that way of looking at life. Doesn't mean that, you know, Myers-Briggs STs are the incapable or uninterested in flow with intention. It's just going to feel very familiar and in their strength or wheelhouse Meanwhile, flow with intention is going down the mountain just like life with intention. The only difference is it recognizes that there's a river on the mountain and that if you get in your canoe and stop trying to paddle up the stream, up the mountain, that you're going to get down there very fast. And it's going to follow a lot of amazing principles that will get you there, but it's not going to involve as much planning. It's going to involve much more flow as I keep talking about. So it's a totally different set of experiences, hiking down a mountain versus canoeing down one and it's a little more focused on what could be considered woo-woo concepts, law of attraction, consciousness, energy. I look at the quantum physics world as a very similar, if not very same place to this type of work. So that's just a difference. It's going to take different sets of focuses and different paths, but they both will get you down the mountain. So don't worry. One or the other is totally fine. If you want to join both, you will be able to as well. Next up, we have Powered by Peanut Butter, who said, How do you keep from getting intimidated by new experiences? I always end up doubting my abilities or just being uncomfortable with discomfort. This is such an interesting question. And as I've been studying neurology, I'm realizing that the lobes of the brain are an interesting place to start looking to when we're trying to understand our experiences. What I'm starting to sense, and I don't know if this is 100% factual, I'm excited to talk to a neurologist more personally to actually get more clarity on what my hunches are, but here's my hunch. As I'm learning about the lobes of the brain and how people tend to have different tendencies from one to the other, I'm starting to recognize that if you think about what the strengths are of the left brain, which controls the right side of your body, that left brain loves logic and reason and coherence in your day-to-day life. So that part of it, I'm guessing, is really strong within you and is, doubting your abilities or being uncomfortable with the discomfort because it wants to keep things in this routine, logical format. Whereas the right side of the brain that controls the left side of your body is more open to decoherence, open to pushing boundaries and possibilities and growth and creativity and all of the expression and emotion and nonverbal things in many cases. Verbalness, I think they found can live on both sides of the brain, but definitely is often found in the left brain. But I think that what you're kind of maybe just coming up to is the fact that that side of your brain that's stronger with those, you know, coherent things and logic and stuff is just stronger and so the other side of your brain's less getting used because of the fear of the other side. So if you can actually go into it, you're going to start I think tapping into and using more of the right brain in this case for yourself and as you do, so I think you're going to get more and more comfortable accessing that part of yourself in a way that's going to be really positive. So I know that's not necessarily what you were probably guessing, but this is where my head is going now when I'm thinking about these kind of questions, is where are these things coming from and how do they maybe even relate to parts of our brain? Next up, we have Sunny Thesis who said, where do you see yourself in five years? This is interesting. I don't really think about myself in five years too much. There are generally things that I thought I would have in five years, five years ago, that I definitely don't have now, but I am loving where I'm at so much that I cannot even imagine like where I had my vision of before and in some ways feel so much smaller than where I've actually become to this point. So I think I'm less and less interested in overthinking where I'll be in five years. I can say that I hope that my quality of life and my alignment and my joy is strengthened, deepened, and even more clear and resonant than ever before. That I deeply know I'd like. The details of how that frequency unfolds I'm sure will be incredible in ways I can't even comprehend right now. So I don't really want to put any details too far into that. But of course, bigger things like, I hope that I'll have a family and I hope I'll still be traveling the world and I hope I'll have a partner. Those things I I hope for, but I don't really know. And I know that the alignment and the joy that I want to experience and continue experiencing in a deeper and more deliberate way, I do hope continues because whatever happens from that is the stuff that I really want to happen most. Now we have Hill Atlanta who said, I'd love to hear your thoughts on flow and how it relates to personality, particularly the JP on the Myers-Briggs. How is flow different than personality? Could a high P person not be in the flow while a high J person could? Hope this makes sense. Okay. So Myers-Briggs, for those that are brand new to this, you'll probably just want to go learn more about (laughs) Myers-Briggs. So I can't really explain like the whole thing. That would be an interesting episode though. Maybe I should do that later. But basically the Myers-Briggs personality typing system has four, different elements that have two different types. So there's total of 16 different personality types that are created from these four different letters. And you kind of could either be, for example, the first letter that you're choosing between is an E or an I, extroverted or introverted, and it's a scale. So it doesn't mean that you're always at an E or you're always at an I, or you can move around so you can become more extroverted or more introverted depending on your life situation or your age or your development. So that's number one. The next part is sensing versus intuitive, so sensing your experience through your physical senses or intuiting through your internal possibilities and brain kind of thing is like a generalization here. I'm just trying to do the high points to get this to the JP part. Then the third letter is thinking versus feeling. Are you really a logical person or a really emotional person when you interpret your strengths in the world? It doesn't mean you can't do both. You can have logic and you can have emotion, everyone does, but someone's going to have a stronger strength potentially on that spectrum of thinking to feeling. And then the last category is judging versus perceiving. Judging would be, not like judging being like super negative, judgy person. It means like really organized, really planning focused. I like to think of a type A person as a pretty J type personality. And then P's tend to be perceiving. They're more flowing, spontaneous, maybe potentially disorganized in some cases. It's especially true, I've heard told in like their personal lives. So they're in their job, they might be very organized because that's what's expected of them. So let's say someone in the army, which is a very J type of structure, a P can obviously function within that J culture and be very organized because that's required of them. But in their personal life, if they weren't in that situation in the army, for example, they may not be quite as structured or be more spontaneous. So when you actually ask this, you say, could a high P person not be in the flow while a high J person could? Yes. Obviously flow is totally irrelevant to JP. It's really your choice to experience the world through your consciousness in a way that is an alignment with what your intuition wants for you. So, A high P person, though, I will say might be more open to spontaneity and flow of spontaneous things, where a J person might be more likely to have a preconceived notion of how they want their day to go, and they try to kind of keep going against the flow. So I'd actually say the J personality type might have a harder time potentially than a P, but that doesn't mean that both people don't have access to these within themselves. And more and more, like I said a little bit earlier about these lobes of the brain, I'm starting to think a lot of this stuff is really tied to the strengths of our cerebral hemispheres and which one that we're more natural and adept at using or how much crossover between each lobe of the brain we're using on a day-to-day basis. So... That'll be an episode for a future thing, though. Let's just save that and put a pin in it, but hopefully that makes sense. And we actually have another Myers-Briggs question right after this, so I'll explain a little bit about myself because this is what the question asks. The bibliotherapy said, that's a great name, by the way, you mentioned that your Myers-Briggs type has changed recently. I'm interested to know what it was and is and your thoughts on that. Thanks for sharing. So... It's kind of interesting. My Myers-Briggs used to be for my whole life was an ENFJ. So it's extroverted, intuitive. No no surprise there on the intuition, right guys? Then feeling, judging. So I was an organized Outgoing person, not that you can't be outgoing as an I, that's not the point, but I was like a very much drew my energy from being around people. I'm very intuitive and I have the feelings or very emotions are very big on my way of processing the world. And the J was organized and I was kind of more type A. But now, since I've been on this trip, I'm an ENFP. The way I even discovered that I had switched on this one, and I'm now an ENFP, came from someone on Twitter who asked me this question, and as I wrote down ENFJ to them, I could just tell (laughs) as I was writing, I was like, that J, I, I almost wanted to say to her, it's not true, like I don't really feel like that's as true anymore for me or something like that, but I didn't. And then the person wrote back to me, you know, that really makes a lot of sense. I'm just a little surprised by the J part. I thought you would have been a P. And then as she said that, I was like, oh my gosh, me too. I totally thought I was a P. So then I decided to take the test again, just to see what I was. And it turned out I was 75% P when I took the test a few weeks ago. So even as I read the descriptions of ENFJs and ENFPs now, the way that I would describe how I am now is definitely ENFP, not ENFJ. So why did it switch? This is interesting. There's a few different theories here. So I don't know which one's accurately, right? But I can tell you that sometimes they say that you can switch over if you're in a certain life situation, like a job or a relationship or a certain situation in your life that really amplifies one area. So for example, I said earlier, you could be someone that could be a P in the army. And when you're in the army, you're acting in a very structured way. So maybe you are testing as a J in that season of your life. But when you change that season of your life, you may go back to being a P in the future. Well, obviously my situation has changed a lot. I used to have a structured life and now I'm very flowy. I don't even know where I'm going to be week to week. So that is a very P experience in life. So maybe the P is just there because it's the season of my life. And when I get back to something with a little bit more roots or that kind of thing, maybe I'll want more routine. Maybe I'll want more J-ness in my life and the ENFJ will return. Time will tell on that part, but my coach that I've been working with for years, she's 70 years old or so, and she has seven children. So her understanding of Myers-Briggs using all of these personality dynamics is really, really fascinating. I like to say she's kind of like a, a surgeon with this stuff. She's so adept at using it. And her insight when I told her about this was that I was raised by two very J parents that are very organized and structured and all those things. And since if you even think about my Enneagram type, which is a two, which is always seeking love and approval, that as a little girl, I could easily potentially have been someone that wanted love and approval from my parents so much that if that being a J, like doing things that were organized and structured and those sorts of things that they gave me that approval and appreciation for, I easily could have adapted myself to the J personality type in order for love and approval. And that really does align because my joy and happiness as I am now, as a, more p person in this life totally feels awesome so that's probably way more than you're interested in but that's the truth about it and maybe you guys will find that in your lives you might flip on one of these parts of your own myers-briggs in the future and here's some potential reasons that could be happening for you too now we have creating belinda who said what do you do when you love what you're doing for work but your environment or people is just bringing you down Love your show. This is such an interesting question, Belinda, and I cannot wait to go more into this and flow with intention. So if you're interested in flow with intention and your intuition tells you to join, I'm excited to work with you. But just quickly, I'm gonna say here, what do you do when you like what you're doing, but your environment is just bringing you down, the people in your lives, what you're essentially saying in that, and I love you and I'm gonna say this because I think this is true for me too when it happens to me as well. So I'm saying this for us all here here's my thought on that. I think that when we allow other people to impact our own alignment, our own frequency, what that means is that their center of energy or gravity is stronger than ours. And so we're getting brought to their level up or down actually. So you can also expose yourself to really uplifting people and find your frequency rise. Or if you're around really negative people, you could find it lower. Well, I think that there's a little bit of a victimization happening when we decide that someone else's energy has the power to control our own feelings. Now, that sounds crazy, but if you really think about the really powerfully contained conscious people in the world, in history even, those people were not influenced by by the, in a long-term sense, I would say, in an enduring sense, it does not seem like they were they were dragged down by the people around them. So I'm thinking about Nelson Mandela. I'm thinking about Gandhi. I'm thinking about Jesus. I'm thinking about the Buddha. I'm thinking about these people that did not allow other people's energy to affect their own. So their emotional frequency was stronger than those around them. Now, they tended to uplift others around them because just by being around them and their emotional frequency, people were uplifted, but they were around people often that would probably try to bring them down. It would be really easy to see how that could happen. So with your own experience, try recognizing that your in control of your frequency and you're also in control of your actions. So when you need to, as often as you can, find a way to find your alignment and then go back into the work situation or remove yourself when needed at lunch, before you go to work, at the end of work, in mini breaks during work, whatever you can do to go recenter yourself and recognize that you are selecting that energy. I think there's a lot of energy out there, a lot of people thinking, you know, I'm really empathic, I'm really pick up on people's energy, that's fine and wonderful, but you don't necessarily wanna go down to people's levels because that's just you getting down to the level of a problem rather than helping them reach a level of solution. So finding a way to set and choose your own set point emotionally, I think is like as you guys know my number one thing i spend most of my time focusing on in my life right now and i think it's it's been amazing to see the results in my own life but also to see how me focusing on this is helping you guys too because you guys are in many cases often resonating with my energy and it's helping to bring you up in many cases maybe it's bringing other people down and in that case they hope they stop listening because that's not a good thing for their own lives but Keeping this in mind that the people around you, and I know how hard this can be. I was with someone at Christmas time that had a really dense negative energy. And it was really hard to be around that person. And what I ended up doing was finding ways to get away and to get onto my own and to consume and fill myself with things that brought me up so that when I was around that person, I kind of had this energy store of alignment that I could bring to the situation and just kind of also try to just, I wanna say kind of like, avoiding is not the right word, but just not interact with that person when they're in that negative energetic place as much as possible. In your work, you may have varying levels of degrees of this, but I think that if you have like, for example, one particularly really negative person or you're at a dinner party and there's this one person that's really kind of negative, just floating around the room and trying to do as little interaction as you can with that person until you're really able to have that center of gravity of frequency within yourself be determined by yourself are really helpful things. It doesn't mean it's perfect. It doesn't mean you're not going to get caught out of it, but that's just my thought here. It's a really long answer to that, but hopefully some of that's helpful. Now we have Daily Maleo who said, any advice for people getting used to listening to their intuition? How would you combat the constant pullback from the side of us that doesn't want to separate itself from the ego? Thank you for all you do, Jess. Okay. So as I've been mentioning, I have this little new theory. I don't know if it's true. So this is totally written in pencil, but I'm starting to think that the intuition and egos have something to do with the right and left sides of our brains. So recognizing that one side of the brain may be stronger or more familiar for us to draw upon than the other, or in this case, ego versus intuition, recognizing that they're both there. And then having the faith to try to take the action the intuition's telling you. That's gonna be my advice. Any advice for listening to your intuition, yes. If you hear something you think is your intuition, take that step and see what happens. That's my suggestion. Take the step, see what happens, observe the results. Now, if it is positive and it unfolds in a positive way, great, and you feel peaceful through that whole thing, odds are you were totally in alignment with your intuition, the whole thing. Great. As you do that, you're going to start to trust, begin to have faith that when you take these acts of uncertainty or steps of uncertainty to the ego or to the potentially, like I said, I'm not sure here, but maybe the left side of your brain that really wants to keep things in coherence and logic and all that sort of thing, wants to keep you safe, it's going to start to recognize logically even seeing the empirical evidence of following the right side of the brain works out in good ways, maybe a way to continue to take steps of faith and just continue to strengthen your action in alignment with that voice within you. Yeah. And in terms of it not wanting to take the action, just say, let's just see what happens. That's what you could say to the ego. Let's just see what happens. And if it doesn't go well, take stock about that. Why didn't it go well? How could it have gone better? Could it have been coming from a potentially egoic place, even though you thought it was your intuition, kind of like a wolf dressed in sheep's clothing? I'm not sure in each situation for yourself, but I can say for myself, I can't think of a situation where I followed my intuition and it did not lead to a positive outcome. That's just me personally, but that is my experience. So when it comes to me taking steps of faith based on my intuition, I have not very much resistance to it. I may have some fear around it, but I'm not gonna really resist it too much because I have seen it work time and again over the last, let's see, seven years that I've been really deliberately focusing on intuition and it just continues to get better and better. So for me, I can still hear the ego's thoughts and I say, thank you so much for trying to keep me safe and I take the action anyway. Now we have maca. K3 who said, hi, Jess, I love your podcast. I've tried writing to my intuition a few times, but I've kept giving up because I don't seem to know what to listen for and if I'm hearing, and if what I'm hearing is my intuition. Do you have any advice on how I can hear my intuition in a more clear and recognizable way? That is actually a great question. And if you go to the sidebar on the blog, so go to JessLively.com slash blog, you're going to see an intuition mini course, which has other suggestions on how you can hear from your intuition that's not just writing to it. So I'd suggest you try out some of those other techniques as well. Now we have Blossom Rising who said, what do you do when you recognize that your ego is flaring up? Do you have any tips or tricks for returning to alignment when in the middle of an ego flare up? Sometimes I don't have time to write to my intuition in the moment to get answers, but I feel myself in an ego tailspin and don't know how to rein it in in the moment. Okay. So when you're in this moment and you don't have time to write, well, I would actually say... If you're thinking about this, you have time to write because your thinking is the same thing as writing it. So I would actually say there's a limiting belief there that's like, I can't. Now, if you're in a meeting, potentially, maybe that's true. If you're actually leading the meeting and you're speaking as the ego's flaring up, that's one thing. If you're even sitting and you're watching the person give the presentation, your ego's flaring up, you can take notes. You can write to your intuition right there while the meeting's happening. So... First of all, I would say if it's you're speaking as it's happening, I would give yourself compassion. If you're literally the one presenting and your ego is telling you what a – failure you are, what people are thinking about you in that moment, if you're literally that active in it and it's that beating yourself up, compassion, compassion, compassion. Giving yourself empathy for the fact that your ego is beating yourself up while this is happening because this is something that's vulnerable, that's happening right now. And it's happening at the same time that this negative thing is happening. Compassion for that is what I would say. But if you're in any other situation where you are not actually interfacing or giving material out at that moment, you are able to write this down. I often will like do what I call texting with the universe <laughs> or texting with intuition, where I have definitely been in a tailspin in, I'm thinking about Portugal, especially last summer. And I was all torn up about this guy and the situation that was unfolding. And i don't want to get into the details of it, but I'll just say that I was in this ego tailspin. I stood walking around shopping with a friend in H&M specifically, writing on the little notes app on my phone to my intuition about the situation. Because I was thinking about it anyway, so it wasn't going to go away. So I might as well get the thoughts out and hear the responses and be able to go look back at them. So definitely if you're in any situation other than presenting a project in the middle of your meeting, try to write it down. You don't have to sit there in the middle of you know a mountaintop alone. You can do this while you're wandering around H&M freaking out like I did. Try it, obviously, in those calmer moments so that it's easier and more familiar for you to do when you're in H&M standing around. But you can literally do this in your car, anywhere you can write something down, like I said, even on your phone. Try writing it down because when you get the thoughts out, you can see them. And I just find it's just the easiest way to hear the intuition's perspective. It's not that you can't find it in another way, but really when you're freaking out, the ego's at the level of the problem. Your intuition's always at the level of the peaceful, positive perspective on that situation. And for me, the easiest way to make that jump in consciousness, for me to focus from the level of consciousness of the ego to the level of consciousness of the intuition is just for me writing it down. That's just my number one thing and I don't really know how else to tell you to do it in a more effective way than that because for me right now, that is the most effective way I have to share. Now we have Steph Pellet who said, what do you think is the connection between flow and the intuition? I'm asking because sometimes the universe flows opportunities or events to me that doesn't really match up with what my intuition has to say. What are your thoughts? This is really interesting and I would say that It's okay. It doesn't mean that like my inbox is only filled with things that I want to say yes to just because I'm in flow and I'm following my intuition does not mean that I'm going to answer every single question that someone has asked in this Q and a, so don't worry. You're definitely going to still say no to things. And as you continue to find your alignment and your intuition, you're going to continue to say no to things even more in the future. It's just going to continue to unfold. Things are going to keep showing up in your life, following the intuition And seeing what flows from the intuition and what's coming up in your life is the sweet spot. Finding the flow and intuition alignment is what you're seeking. The cool thing is the intuition will always have a peaceful perspective on the situation you're in in the present moment. So stuff might flow to you that you might not wanna do. Okay, cool, don't do it. Don't worry about it. Don't see it as something wrong. Just see it as how wonderful is it that there's so many opportunities coming my way that I can't even take them all or don't even want to do them all. But it's so cool that this many opportunities are abundant in my experience. And then just go do the ones you wanna do and leave the ones you don't but always follow the intuition at the end of the day. (laughs) That would be my answer. Now we have Thinking Outside Box who said, love your show, Jess, and really love the latest episode on Law of Attraction. Could you walk us through your typical day? I'm so curious how you spend your day and keep up on your business and stay in alignment and also go out and meet new people. Thanks. Okay, so there is no day that's typical in that I just try to find alignment as I've been mentioning so if it's a work day, typically I go to bed whenever I feel like going to bed. I wake up when I feel like waking up, which is between six and eight most days, somewhere in there I'll wake up, I'll do my meditation. I will then get into it, like ready for my day, do what feels good there. I will then get into alignment. Lately, as I've been in Australia, what I have found gets me so aligned is spending the morning from like nine or 10 until three Focusing on researching and doing things that are all focused on this research of quantum mechanics, on alignment, on intuition and law of attraction, all of that study that I've been doing, that stuff makes me so happy to study that it's the way I get into alignment. It actually studying it is how I get into alignment. And once I'm in that aligned state, then around three to five, I'll do the work that I want to get done for the business with that alignment. And then I will stop the minute that energy of that alignment seems to wane. I will lean back. I won't keep pushing and I'll go do go to dinner most likely, or go do something different. And then in the evenings, I typically am hanging out or going on a date or doing something like that with people in the area that I'm at. That's not always happening. Sometimes I'll also stay home and do something inside by myself, or maybe go on a walk or go on a run or something. But often I usually have like a lot of alignment time at a coffee shop, a few hours of work Like I said, usually 2 to 5.30 or 6, and then evening time with friends that I meet on my travels. Now we have Earl Martin who said, how scripted are your podcasts? Do you just have an outline or do you write out every word beforehand? This is interesting. It varies, but right now for this episode I've just typed out or copy and pasted all of the questions that I was going to answer and there are no little notes for it. So sometimes I've done Q&As where I'll write down some bullet points that I know I want to address about that person's question, but in this episode I'm not actually doing that. I'm just speaking off the cuff. In other episodes like what's coming out on Thursday, I actually spent all of today from 10 a.m. to 3.30 p.m. focusing on writing the outline for what I wanna share because it's a lot of information and material. It's not scripted in that this is exactly what I have to say or how it will come out. However, it was just a lot. So to pull all of the concepts together in a way that I felt would be really cohesive for you guys took a long time. But what was really interesting about it was I just kind of got started with it and it kind of flowed from there and I was finding my alignment in preparing for that episode which is different from what I said earlier when I said a lot of times right now I'm finding that reading books and researching and taking notes and looking at my notes and referring to all of this stuff and making this big soup, if you will, from all of this material is making me really happy. But today's flow is a little different. Today's flow is actually thinking about the subject I wanted to share for Thursday and then researching and writing out the notes for it in a way that flows for this outline and has a a lot of definitions and technical terms. So that's why it took so long to actually prepare. So I think it's like 10 to 20 pages of text that I have prepared so that I have notes for what I'm going to share. That is the answer to that. I guess it kind of depends on the episode. And for example, the things I'm afraid to tell you episode, those are just a list of bullet points I knew I wanted to share. So it really does vary episode to episode. Now we have Nicole B. Freeman who said, the other day, Jess, I was in another country having a bit of a breakdown and I genuinely thought of you at 3 a.m. nonetheless and wondered if you sometimes cry in the middle of the night like I did. And if so, how do you get yourself balanced after? Well, first of all, I have so much compassion for you for crying in the middle of the night. You know, just recognizing where your emotional frequency is, is the first step to changing it is just allowing it to be where it is for that moment so that it can process and run through you and not stay stuck. So it's really good that you just let it out and that you just let the emotion roll through you and then continue onward like a little storm that just keeps going and goes away from your experience. The skies will clear. Uh, Do I ever feel that way? I've definitely had some times the trip being since May that I've cried. I think like maybe two or three that might really kind of stand out. And when that happens, I just give myself a bunch of compassion and I'm like, yeah, you're doing something that's really hard. You're in these places you've never been before for a really, really long time. It's understandable that this could be difficult and challenging. That's okay. And just even doing that and letting myself feel the emotion will then give me the perspective to clear it. And then also, obviously, writing to my intuition is how I get myself balanced after. Because as I said earlier, the frequency of the ego that's freaking out is different than the frequency of the intuition that's always peaceful and positive about the situation. So getting into that intuition's understanding, or at least having access or understanding and asking what it is, is for me the first place for me to see where the relief will come. Now, I have... Sid Jamison said, "'Hey, Jess, I'm still having trouble "'channeling my inner passions "'and expressing them to others. "'As a senior in college, "'I wanna be able to communicate this "'in an interview with future employers. "'But when I get in those situations, "'I just seem to clam up "'rather than let it flow out of me. "'Any suggestions? "'Thanks so much. "'I love your podcast.'" Sid, I just have so much compassion for you. Let's not put the pressure on you right now at this point in your life for you to channel your inner passions and express them to others. Let's just drop that. That's a limiting belief. Who says you need to have that? I know you want that and maybe that will come, but if it's not coming right now, I think there's a lot of resistance coming up that's gonna keep it stuck. So I would just say, allow what comes to your mind in that moment be what you share. Instead of overthinking it or pre-thinking it or pre-planning it, just be in the moment and just allow what comes to be perfect for that moment, Period. That would be my suggestion. Allow what comes in that moment to be perfect, period. And learning to have the awareness so that you understand when your ego is speaking and when your intuition is speaking will also be super helpful for you. So I wouldn't focus on having trouble channeling your inner passions and expressing them. I would actually focus on awareness and meditation so that you have the awareness of the ego and then you'll have the awareness of what's not the ego. And as you have awareness of what's not the ego, you'll have awareness of how to speak from that place that's not ego. Now we have, we are Bates who said, okay, so I'm writing to my intuition, I'm making changes, adding more flow into my life, but my ego needs confirmation that all this is okay. Does the ego ever get more quiet or do you ever get more comfortable following intuition? For me, yes. I definitely feel that way. I don't know how your experience will go, but... As I continue to take steps of faith and see what happens when I follow my intuition, it gets easier. Does the fear go away? No, but does taking steps anyways with the fear get easier? Yes, to me, it totally does. I'm not gonna say that's gonna be your experience, but the fear doesn't go away. I just am not wrecked by the fear. I just see it and I go, oh, I know you're trying to keep me safe. Thank you so much. I like to think about my dog, Franklin. Franklin hates skateboarders. So when the skateboarder comes down the street, he sits in the front of the window on the couch, staring out the window so that when a skateboarder comes, he can bark at it. He thinks that by barking at the skateboarder, he's making it go away. He's afraid of the skateboarder, so he's like, I gotta get rid of the skateboarder. I have to do anything I can right now to make this scary thing go away. So he barks at it, barks and barks and barks. And it's obnoxious when you're around it all day, (laughs) because when I lived in Austin, there's a lot of skateboarders that would go down the street, so he'd be barking all day long, sitting at the window. When you yelled at him, because it's really tempting to wanna just be like, stop barking and yell back at him. You want to retaliate. He thinks you're barking with him at the skateboarder. So he thinks he's doing his job. And not only is he doing such a good job at protecting the house and making the scary thing go away, you're helping him do it too. Instead of him seeing the point of you telling him to stop doing it. So when you have your ego freaking out because it's scared about something, it's just like the dog barking at the skateboarder. You then Barking at your ego, yelling at your ego to stop freaking out is only confirmation that something scary is happening and should be continued to be barked at. Versus if you flip it on its head and you told Franklin, thank you for doing your job, thank you for doing it, and you say it in a positive tone that's congratulating him almost. It's so crazy, but I can tell you having watched it, he turned around and would stop barking because he was getting validation for what he thought he was doing. And he would stop barking. That was the big point, right? All I wanted him to do was stop barking. So he would be so distracted by the positive versus when I'm yelling at him, he's just barking too. He would turn around and look at me instead of at the skateboarder. It wasn't a perfect system. I can't say that he didn't stop looking at the skateboarder. And it wasn't like we were trying to incentivize him to bark at the skateboarder. Thank you, you did such a good job. Let's get a treat now. But I can say, I think that the principle here applies. Not beating up the ego for worrying about you, not trying to stop it from having its freak out is actually the way for it to stop and go, okay, I don't have to fight against anything. I'm being recognized for the job that I'm doing. Over time, when you're actually in your mind, I think that first by just recognizing and appreciating its attempt to keep you safe is really good. And as it continues to stop feeling threatened or retaliated against by yourself, then over time it stops being as triggered by events that might seem scary. But that doesn't mean as you keep growing and evolving, it's still not going to be kind of aware and triggered to maybe potentially some level, but you're not gonna be phased by it as much. That's been my experience. Now we have Michelle Karras who said, how do you know if your intuition is speaking to you or if you're fooling yourself with safe answers coming from the ego? Great question. There will be a deep, resonant, peaceful knowing if it's coming from your intuition. And there'll be a lingering question or sense of control, I think, coming from your ego. And the other way to do it is just try to take the answer and see what happens. And if you start to feel this sense of unease as you start taking steps in that direction you think is coming from your intuition and this uneasiness comes, it doesn't feel like it's coming from the fire hydrant in your head, but just kind of this subtle but ever-present unease, it's a little different. It's not as barky scared. It's just kind of like something's off. That might be a sign that your intuition has new information for you. They would direct you in another direction. So that might be helpful too. Now we have Shannon Killer who said, throughout your travels, have you ever struggled with having one of those days where you just wanna sit on your Airbnb and do absolutely nothing but lie in bed and watch Netflix all day? Do you allow yourself to have that kind of downtime or do you feel as if you should constantly be getting out there and exploring whichever place you're visiting? How do you find that balance? Love following your journey. This is a great question, and I can say that I have a very, very vivid memory of a day in Florence in July, I think it was, where I did exactly that. I wanted to see nothing foreign. I had gone for longer than I'd ever been traveling to that point thus far, and I was in Europe, so I was in Italy where the language and the culture and the, the scenery is stunning, but all very different from my old life. So it just kind of got to this visual and multi-sensory overwhelm. And all I wanted to do was sit in an Airbnb with white walls and look at nothing but a movie. And that's what I did. And I loved it. It felt so good to do that. That flowed for me to do that that day. So I definitely think it happens if you're traveling for a really extended period of time. I know that sounds crazy for people if you've only done maybe a five, 10, 12, two week, three week, like experience, but if you do really extended travel and you're really putting yourself in different foreign situations, I think that over a long time, they definitely can get to a point where you're in sensory overload and you just want to go do something that feels very internal or very safe. And that's totally fine. Honor that. It felt so good to do so. And the next day I felt ready to go out and speak Italian and go meet people and go to the grocery store and try to find the groceries I wanted to get and that sort of thing. So definitely happens or it's definitely happened to me. It happens to me less so if I'm not in if I'm in English speaking, rather similar to America experiences. That doesn't really phase me as much because I'm basically a lot of times living my life very similarly. But when you're doing a lot of different experiences, it can get overwhelming. Now we have Jamo's Travels who said, hey Jess, I would love to hear about your travel plans in Australia. How do you plan where you want to go and for how long? Well, there's two questions here. How do you plan for where you want to go and for how long? That happens week to week. I kind of wait until there's kind of a tipping point in my gut that makes me ready to feel like taking the next step, which might be just booking another Airbnb or booking a flight. And in terms of plans in Australia, I've made the intention when I was in Cape Town to kind of slow down the pace of my travels a bit. I, for a long time, hadn't really stayed anywhere longer than two weeks at a time and was craving a little bit more stability. And so that's basically been my approach to Australia. I've decided I'm not trying to see every single part of Australia right now. I'm just trying to actually stay and really get to know people and places a bit more. So this month is really gonna turn out to be, I think I think it's gonna be all Sydney. And then next month, I think in February will be Melbourne. And I'm not saying that flow won't take me outside of those cities to other places, but right now that's kind of my general feeling on it. It, is, it seems to flow and feel really good to do those two things. Doesn't mean I can't come back to Australia after the Philippines in March, if I want to and go to other places or that I wouldn't come back to Australia later this year or in future times. But right now it feels really good to just stay in one place, go to the same coffee shop, know the restaurant, know the people, know the food I want to order and have some version of routine in my life. Now we have Emma Ruth Rice asks, hi Jess, I'm a small business owner too in the upcoming tax season. I'm curious if you're able to deduct all of the travel and expenses from your taxes, thank you. I'm able to deduct the things that are business expenses and I'm not able to deduct the things that aren't. So that's the pretty straightforward answer to that. Now I have what Vic likes who said, I haven't heard anything mentioned lately, so I'm guessing the book on work and worth is put on hold. Any plans to continue on it or publish? This is a great question. So I actually did all this research on studying the self-worth and work issue, taught a class on it, and was going to create a book on it. Once I figured out that subject for myself and taught it to others, I was less interested in spending the, what, six, eight, 12 months to actually write about it because once it wasn't an issue in my life, I didn't want to spend that much time devoted to that subject. I'm much more interested in a wider context of energy consciousness and flow now. So flow basically took me away from making that a book instead of taking and turned that into a class. So the research and all of the findings are still there and useful for people. I do plan, I think, if it flows, (laughs) to do another class on work and worth this year at some point and eventually have it as an evergreen product that you can sign up and participate in whenever you want so you don't have to wait for me to offer it again. Because it's not necessarily something that I have to do live for people to get the benefit from that research and findings. So no plan to do a book on it, just not as interested in that subject as much as this other stuff that has come up through flow and intuition and so forth. So Will not be a book, but will be a class probably done live again at some point this year, and then later will be available all the time. Next up we have Valerie Boyle who said, "Okay, super practical question here. At this point you must be an Airbnb pro. Any tips or tricks for finding a great Airbnb? Could you share some of your favorites? Love your show." This is a great question. I've been having fun sharing pictures of my Airbnbs more recently as I've come out about the things I'm afraid to tell you episode and said, "Yes, guys, I am not doing this on a budget. I'm not trying to do this in the cheapest way possible." So when it comes to Airbnb, I am looking for places that feel like places I would want to honestly live in if I was living in that city and as long as I feel comfortable and feel aligned in terms of price point. That's truly based on feel. It depends on the city and what the going rates are for that place and what the going nightly rates are. It will fluctuate. So if it's in a less expensive area, my budget will go down. If it's in a higher, more expensive area like Sydney or London, it goes up. And I pick places that feel like places I would want to be. That's because I'm not doing this on a quote unquote budget or trying to do this in anything other than flow. And it works out great for me. So that's my real answer does not mean I have a tip or trick for you other than get into alignment when you go on to Airbnb that when you do, I believe you'd be more likely to find things that will align with your state in that positive place. I've definitely booked Airbnbs from a lower frequency when I was not in as good of a mood. And it's so crazy because I've had those few flats that have happened like that where I think it looks okay at the time, but I'm emotionally not in a great place. And once I get to that flat, I'm actually really disappointed by the experience. It's insane, but totally has proven to be true. So my biggest tip or trick is so crazy, but it's to get into a really good place before you get into Airbnb in the first place. And I think you're more likely to be attracted to an Airbnb that you really genuinely will love. I also find the reviews very helpful. So I usually stick to four or five star places exclusively. And I always pay attention to the notes about that location. So when people say perfect location, or this is a great value, or I loved working with this host, those are all things that help me feel really good about the area or the Airbnb that I'm staying in. And ultimately, the pictures really do help me define whether or not it feels like a place I want to stay. So that's my answer to that question. Last but not least, we have Stephanie who asked, I've heard you mention Oprah's influence in your life a few times. Can you talk more about that? I've just finished listening to the WBEZ podcast called Making Oprah, which you might enjoy listening to. So she's on my mind. I am also seeing the parallels of her journey and honing her purpose on her show and you on yours. Thanks, Stephanie, and it's so funny. Someone mentioned Making Oprah Podcast, so I've actually been listening to it this week, so I do totally know what you're talking about in terms of the podcast, and I can say yes, yes, yes. So Oprah, growing up, my mom had Oprah on my entire life. She never sat in front of the TV ever and watched it, like a normal person would just sit in front of a TV. She just had it on in the background. So it was on in the background of my life as my mom was going about whatever she was doing during her day. That TV was on Oprah's show all the time. So I grew up since 1984 listening to Oprah and had a huge influence on my life. Even when I was my previous ENFJ personality type, that's Oprah's personality type. So it totally we like, I see the world very similarly to how Oprah views the world and experiences it. Our strengths are similar. So when I decided I wanted to help people and do the work I do, she's literally the reason that I'm doing what I do. Obviously I do it in my own way and I've had my own set of experiences, but she definitely was the inspiration for the impact I was trying to make in the world. And I deeply believe that. What's interesting, as you mentioned, is this podcast, if you listen to it, the host does a great job explaining the different phases of the Oprah show and the different focuses that Oprah had at different seasons of the show. And I can tell you that, yeah, it is kind of interesting to see the parallels because I wasn't as focused on evolving my show in this way when I started it. I didn't know any better than where I started it. But you can definitely sense there are many different seasons and and feels to my show and I'm getting to consciousness and energy, which is ultimately where (laughs) Oprah got to. So I started with the intent in mind to make an impact and help people in a way that Oprah did. And it's funny that my story and journey is actually seeming to, in some ways, parallel it too. Without that being a deliberate part of it, it just seems to be unfolding similarly. Very interesting. And I don't know what more to say, but yeah, I did really enjoy that podcast. And there you have it, guys. That's my answers to your questions. If you want to find me on Instagram, Snapchat, or Twitter, you can find me at Jess C as in Creative Lively. And for show notes for today's episode, head over to JessLively.com January 2017 questions. Before I share where I'm headed to next, I'd like to take a bit to talk about today's sponsor, FreshBooks.com. As someone earlier mentioned in a question, tax season is upon us and it's happening. Whether we like it or not, it's going to be happening right now. If you are not liking your bookkeeping and you are looking at your system and you are not enjoying it, please check out FreshBooks and give it a try for 30 days for free by using the code lively. Or actually, you don't even have to use the code. Just go to freshbooks.com slash lively. You're gonna get a free 30-day trial to start this January get your system off to a good start and enjoy your bookkeeping. I love it, it's so wonderful. I get to have my teammates use it as they need to. I have my accountant and my bookkeeper have access to it as well. And they all have access to the parts of it that I want them to have access to. So you really get to customize this for all the team members that you have. It's a fantastic system. It works like what I believe is kind of like the Facebook for bookkeeping, which is literally as much as I actually ever wanna think about bookkeeping. I want to keep it as simple as possible. FreshBooks does that for me and it can do that for you too. Please give it a try and see if you like it as much as I do. Again, you can get that free 30-day trial at freshbooks.com/slash lively. And now for where I'm headed to next, as I said, I am probably gonna stay here in Sydney a little longer. So we'll see. I mean, who knows? I've heard that the Blue Mountains are great, don't have any plans at the moment to go up to them, but that could be something fun. And in the meantime, I'm just staying in Potts Point here near the Elizabeth Bay and just enjoying what is a lovely, lovely, although a kind of hot and humid (laughs) summer season here in Sydney. Until Thursday, may something wonderful happen to you today.